Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Seven things you don't really need to know or probably should. I'm Kira Revan and this, this is the Sunday 7. In this week's episode, we probe NASA's asteroid recovery, we dig into long COVID, Will Gaia takes a hard look at Alphabet, and we find out how sustainable Lego bricks are. Oh, and the Sunday 7 has been nominated for a prestigious international award. We've been selected in the Best Conversation Starter category for the Signal Awards. We'd love it if you could please vote for us. Just go to thesmart7.com. Thank you. Meanwhile, on this day in 1847, the first woman astronomer in the United States, Maria Mitchell, discovered a comet. She was observing the skies from her homemade observatory in Nantucket when she saw a moving object. Her observation won her a gold medal from the King of Denmark, and she was the first woman elected to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. This was a big week for NASA and the US space program. A seven-year mission to explore the asteroid Bennu reached its conclusion as material from the asteroid finally reached Earth via the Osiris Rex program. This was the moment last Sunday when the capsule containing asteroid samples from 200 million miles across the solar system finally touched down on Earth. Unofficial touchdown time, 8.52 a.m. Mountain. And the team can now breathe an immense sigh of relief. We now have the sample return capsule, the SRC. Asteroid Bennu has been described as the most dangerous rock in the solar system because it's on course to potentially hit Earth in 2182. The samples were grabbed in 2020 when a probe the size of a transit van successfully landed on the surface of Bennu and then headed for home. Professor Sarah Russell, who is a science team member of NASA's Osiris Rex, described what that was like. We had this idea that the asteroid might be a little bit like the surface of the moon. It would be quite a hard surface with some fine-grained material on top. But when we got to asteroid Bennu, we found it was full of these massive boulders, some of them metres across, all jumbled together. It was just a rubble pile of different boulders. Uh, So it was really hard, firstly, to find somewhere to land and find somewhere to sample, because a sampler had been designed to pick up tiny pebbles and bits of dust. So we had to find a spot on the asteroid that looked like we might be able to collect that kind of material. So what's so important that NASA spent seven years to grab these samples? Speaking before the asteroid landed, the principal investigator for NASA's Osiris Rex mission, Dante Loretta, laid out what the plans are. We'll begin to process that material, looking for the different rock types. We really want to understand the history of this asteroid, which reflects this long duration of the solar system. I have over 200 scientists in 60 different laboratories all around the world. And we're gonna literally be understanding processes that existed before our sun did, before the earth came into being, and really how did the first materials in our solar system start to grow into the planets that we see today. The process for unboxing the sample material has already begun, with scientists surprised by the amount of black dust that the probe has gathered. But asteroid Bennu is known to be rich in carbon. Lead curator of the project is Nicole Lunning, and she explains the precautions they've been taking. Sample return capsule is kind of like a nesting doll. We have these multiple layers of protection. Um, And then that sample canister 
will have a nitrogen flow put on it, what we call a nitrogen purge. And with that nitrogen purge to protect the sample, to keep any incursion of terrestrial atmosphere coming into that canister, it will be flown from Utah here to Houston, Texas. This is the furthest extraterrestrial sample ever brought to Earth, and it didn't have to go through the process of burning up in the atmosphere. So should we be concerned about any risks to humanity? Don't worry, NASA addressed the issue in their live stream. Are we at risk of something catastrophic? Literally so vanishingly small that no one would rightfully bet on anything right. like that. This is space, rock and dust from a time so far ago that's been baked in the space radiation that wouldn't be good for any organic, uh, any living thing, sorry, we're all organic. And so we, it's been sterilized by being in space, in effect. And we do the same thing when we go and sterilize stuff that we'll bring back from planets like Mars. As winter approaches, we appear to be experiencing another wave of COVID infections driven primarily by the new Omicron variant known as Parola. It's hard to tell, though, exactly how many cases there are and how concerned we should be. As three years into the pandemic and with high levels of vaccination, people seem a lot more relaxed about the disease. The greatest concern has been the risk of contracting so-called long COVID, but new research suggests that risk might have been overstated due to a flaw in research mythologies. Long COVID symptoms have been considered to include fatigue, brain fog and shortness of breath, but Researchers in the UK, Denmark and the US found that definitions are imprecise and symptoms not always linked directly to COVID itself. Dr Tracy Hogue is an epidemiologist at the University of San Francisco and she spoke to Times Radio. She says the lack of understanding in how to diagnose long COVID is not helping the people who genuinely have it. It does a disservice to people who had severe COVID or have actually severe symptoms following COVID and they're trying to get a treatment or they're trying to figure out what it is. And, and when, when we call everything long COVID, because then they just get lumped with all of these people who are misdiagnosed as having long COVID when really what they have is something else. And then we have this other issue of, you know, people are afraid, uh, you know, that they're very afraid of getting COVID because they think their likelihood of getting long COVID is so high. And our US CDC is still saying that one in five people get long COVID after they have COVID-19 based on, you know, the flawed methodology that we're talking about where they basically say, did you have a new symptom after COVID-19 and did it last three months? But that's any new symptom. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we check out how green Lego blocks are made and meet a man who loves microbes. Lego is the world's largest toy maker, although most of what it makes are bricks, but it's been trying hard to go green. Lego bricks were traditionally made with oil-based plastics and way back in 2018 they announced they were going to try and reduce their carbon footprint and switch to an alternative material. But it's been a struggle with some of the new material they tried actually producing higher carbon emissions. So what's going on? Let's check in with Sharon Keelty, who's a well-known global expert in the field of sustainability in toys and founder of Jiminy.ie, an award-winning online Irish toy store. So, Lego has an oil problem, is that right? Yes. So Lego is the world's biggest maker of physical toys and their Lego is made from petroleum and turning petroleum into plastic releases a whole heap of carbon dioxide. Uh, in fact, to offset the emissions of just making Lego from petroleum, we'd have to plant 70 million trees. In other words, the fact that Lego is made from virgin petroleum-based plastic it's like chopping down 70 million 
trees and not replacing them. And what have they decided to do instead? So back in 2015, LEGO set itself a very brave and very visionary target of all sustainable materials by 2030. And at the time, the material that's used to make LEGO right now is a type of plastic called ABS. They use ABS because it's very durable and it clicks together really well. So at the time, 2015, nobody was making recycled ABS made from waste and nobody was making bio-based ABS. The closest was recycled PET, which is what water bottles and Coke bottles are made from. But they had to do a whole heap of adding in additives and processing it and drying it to mimic the ABS. And actually what they've just realized this week or just announced this week is that unfortunately all that processing to make the recycled PET work like ABS actually makes it no better than ABS. So they're going to ditch the recycled PET idea, but they've come up with an even better solution. In 2021, a materials producer invented or developed recycled ABS. And in 2022, a different materials maker invented bio-based ABS. So in 2023, Lego now has the option to choose recycled ABS or bio-based ABS. This story has been billed by the press as a negative. The Financial Times headline billed it as like a, a setback for sustainability. But it's not at all. It's good news. How sustainable are kids' toys generally? Do they involve a lot of plastic? So sadly, an industry that exists to make our children happy is also the world's most plastic-intensive industry, with 90% of toys made from virgin petroleum emitting so much CO2 in doing that, it's like deforesting one billion trees. Yes, I did say a billion, not a million. Toys, most toys are injection molded, so we need a sustainable option for injection molded products. And so Toys has a huge opportunity to go green. And unfortunately, it's just been a little bit late to come to that party because until now, there hasn't been much incentive for toy makers to do this. So the EU is bringing in some exciting regulation. So one is going to require businesses, bigger businesses, to report their carbon footprint, which will mean they have an incentive to choose the low carbon toy. So that's one good thing that's happening. And the other one is called the Eco Design for Sustainable Products Regulation. And that's going to mandate a minimum percentage of recycled material in all products, not just toys. It's going to do things like it's going to ban the destruction of unsold goods. And it's going to insist on really clear labeling of products in terms of their carbon footprint in a way that's really easy for regular people to read and understand. And in the meantime, the eco-minded consumers and eco toy shops like my own, which is Jiminy.ie, it's a whole eco toy shop. Uh, We're like the pioneers. We're kind of figuring out what the solutions are. But to make that solution go mainstream, it's going to need regulation. Right now, the only sustainable Lego is pre-loved Lego. And what is really interesting about Lego as a company is that they're the only big toy maker I know that has actually found a way to make some money from pre-loved sale of their own products because they bought that website, Bricklink, which sells pre-loved Lego sets. Business models need to start thinking about how, in the way that Lego has done very cleverly, to make money without making new stuff.
The world of microbes is not where you'd expect to find an architect, but Richard Beckett, Associate Professor of Architecture at University College London, has decided to make himself a test case to find out what impact healthy microbes can have on our immune systems. His goal is to gain insights into how humanity might live more sustainably and more in harmony with nature. He's spending time as part of an exhibition at the Rocket Gallery in London in a cubicle which has walls that have been infused with soil, microbes and organic matter. He says there'll be close monitoring of his health, but he's hoping that his immune system will actually benefit from this exposure. There'll be a series of bloods taken throughout the experiment. And what we'll be looking for really is there any kind of indication that there are specific responses in my immune system. So hygiene is a very important part of protecting from harmful microbes. But this over-reliance on antibiotic ways has resulted in urban environments that are increasingly sterile and completely lack the kind of microbes that we need access to for healthy bodies. Matthew Reeves is an associate professor of virology at University College of London and he's going to keep monitoring Richard's blood tests to see if there's any significant impact. It's a pre-study study. So this is a study to see if we just see anything gross. This is to give us some clues that something is happening. We've taken cells from Richard and then we've, we've, we've banked them essentially here at the hospital but we will just test them for a, for a immune response. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Will Guy takes a look at a big week for Alphabet and we sample an ice cream made from plastic waste. Right after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. It's time to catch up with the Smart 7's tech guru, Will Guyatt. This week, we're giving him a break from Elon Musk news and instead having a look at a couple of stories about Alphabet, Google's parent company. So, Will, it's been a big week for Alphabet, a birthday for Google and another headstone for the Mountain View graveyard, right? Yeah, it's, it's been another interesting week. It's been um, 25 years of Google as a search engine and it's been another reminder, I think, about just how big this company is. And with Google itself turning 25, how much trouble is the traditional search engine in in the world of AI and ChatGPT? The answer will be not enough people were using it or they didn't feel that it was being used. But also I think they want to try and push podcasting back into kind of uh, the the world of of YouTube because nobody really associates YouTube with podcasts unless you kind of watch highlights of video podcasts on there. So I think trying to push it all back and make YouTube not just a video solution but an audio solution too um, is, is something they've been talking about for a long time. They've also killed off Google Podcasts. Why is that? The reality is getting your answers via prompts rather than search engines is definitely coming. But Google are a company that's always pivoted into other stuff. They're working hard now to make better their solution and uh, competitors to chat GPT better. 
and Meta is racing into the personal assistant space. Is that right? Yeah, this sounds like the worst idea ever. And this is the idea that they're launching artificial intelligence assistance via uh, Facebook Messenger. And one of the first announced was Snoop Dogg. So apparently you're going to be able to get gaming advice from Snoop Dogg and one of the Kardashians can be one of your best friends. But I think I want a Jimmy Carr version so I can get tax advice. We've had pretty much every flavour of ice cream imaginable created by now, I'm sure. Remember ketchup ice cream? I would not recommend it. But what about ice cream made from plastic waste? That's not an immediately appealing idea, but London designer and artist Eleonora Ortolani has made ice cream from plastic waste as part of an exhibit called Guilt Flavours. The ice cream can't be eaten until proper testing has been completed, but she's aiming to get people to think differently about plastic waste. So Guilty Flavours is what I believe is the first sample of ice cream made from plastic waste. Actually the vanilline contained in the ice cream is what is coming from the same plastic as we can find in bottles, plastic bottles. And I did that collaborating with bacteria um, and enzymes that actually naturally evolved to digest plastic. This project started from a very big frustration about how the plastic recycling system cannot keep up and also, that the, despite all the information around plastic, plastic production is not decreasing, it's actually increasing. When I started this project, it was just very science fiction and I was only interested in the critical side and, you know, like pushing boundaries and trying to explore what actually is possible and what is not. But during the journey, it, it was already clear that some species did that. Some species are eating plastic and some scientists are already looking into that, so why not? Dr Joanna Sadler is a biotechnologist at the University of Edinburgh and she provided the bacteria to make the vanilla flavour and she sees huge potential in the project despite the public reaction. Once you break down the plastics, in this case PET, once you break it down into its building blocks, you can, you can turn those into many, many different things. I even had members of the public email me saying it's, it's irresponsible to encourage people to eat plastic. And I think it's perhaps misconception around what it actually is by the end of the process that it is no longer plastic. But I think as part of that, we it is really important that we take the safety side of it really, really seriously and we make it very clear that this has to go through exactly the same regulatory processes and food standard processes as any other food ingredient. And only once it's been through all of those would it go anywhere near any kind of consumer product. One of the most iconic images of Switzerland is the St. Bernard dog, probably the cartoon version with his little flask around his neck, racing up a mountain to rescue a climber in distress. But if you visit the Swiss Alps today, you'll find that mountain rescue has moved on and the poor old St. Bernard has fallen out of favour. Dogs do still play a role in mountain rescue. Indeed, any disaster, their sensitive noses can be put to use, but the trend is towards smaller and more agile breeds. So what of the St. Bernard don't despair, as Andrea Zollinger of the Barry Foundation explains, they still have a vital role, but don't get the magic flask to carry anymore. They are not working as avalanche dogs anymore because they are too big. Now they use smaller dogs to be transported in helicopters on the intervention sites. The Saint Bernard today is a breed that works on the social front. They work in hospitals, in nursing homes with senior citizens. They help people undergoing therapy, meet with children and prisoners. 
They work wonders, they are wonderful. Passion is driving this whole adventure, and of course, it's a very strong symbol of Switzerland. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.